maybe you will hear me. <laughs> so that is a pretty amazing passage that we've got this morning. And you get me. <laughs> I have never before preached here on a Sunday morning or in a church where I've spent the first bit of the time doing the uh, easy worship. If I go somewhere else, I usually just go as a preacher, but this is us. So before we look at the passage, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We help. We pray that as we look at it together this morning, you will speak to each one of us and you'll give each one of us the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So last October, we bought a new dishwasher because we'd had one for 20 years and it had stopped working. Trouble is, the new one doesn't work either. It's still under warranty. So we get the repairman out. And they look at it, they diagnose the problem, they order the part, the part comes, but it never quite fits. So they re-diagnose the problem and they reorder the part. This week, I saw the repairman, Dave's been doing it, and he said, Tom... <laughs> And he said to me, oh, I've been before. <laughs> so he knew what the problem was, but he still couldn't fix it. So he's ordered another part. <laughs> we're no closer now than we were back in December. And there's no problem carrying out the diagnosis, but they just can't find the solution. Romans 8. We've had Romans 1 to 7. This is like the watershed in Romans that we've had all the problem, and now we're going to get the solution. Some of you might remember, back in March 2015, Anthony preached on the end of Romans 7 and the beginning of Romans 8. And when he did that, he told us that a German had once said, if the Bible's a ring, Romans is the stone on the ring, and chapter 8 is the sparkle on the stone on the ring. A nice picture. But I did a bit of looking at what people had said about Romans as well. And continuing the jewellery theme, interestingly, it's also been suggested that Romans chapter 8, it's like a string of pearls with lots of great statements that all follow on from each other and together they make something beautiful. Now, today we're going as far as verse 3. I've sort of done the slides like it's three pearls, but actually I reckon it's probably about seven. I think you could preach on this bit, I think you could preach about six sermons on these 11 verses. So uh, over the next few weeks, our visiting preachers will carry on with the next pearls of chapter 8. There's a prayer by an unknown author that says, Dear Lord, so far I've done all right today. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> and from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. Now, I can tell I'm not the only one for whom that seems very true. So how can we live how God wants us to? This chapter 8 is headed in my Bible, uh, Life Through the Spirit. So we're going to look at how we can live according to the Spirit of God. I'm going to look at the passage 
in three sections. Resolving the dilemma, setting the mind, and being inhabited by the spirit. So, resolving the dilemma, verses 1 to 4. So, like I said, this is Paul's solution to the problem he's been outlining, outlining in the last few chapters. A couple of weeks ago, this was a diagnosis. If you're here at our all age service, you'll remember we looked with Andy at Romans 6 and how we get tied up by sin. So, if you were here, you'll remember Mike was sat here on the platform, tied up. He couldn't free himself. He couldn't even hold the microphone when he was being asked questions. He needed others to release him. That's what it's like for us when we're slaves to sin. We're tied up. We can't free ourselves, however hard we try. Last week, Neil Salt was with us. We looked at Romans 7 and how we struggle with sin. However hard we try, we just can't keep the law. Instead of freeing us, it ends up binding us. Verse 15, put the problem this way. Paul said, What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. So, Paul's diagnosed the problem, but unlike my dishwasher repairman so far, he has got the solution. So, resolving the dilemma. <coughs> he knew, Paul knew what he wanted to do, but he failed to do it because he couldn't overcome sin, keeping the law. And then we get to chapter 8 and it starts, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, on first reading, that seems a pretty big mood swing. But you need to remember, Paul didn't write chapters, he just wrote a letter. So he probably started a new paragraph here. So chapter 7, verse 25, it said, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. So when he starts, therefore, you could rewrite chapter 7, verse 25, and chapter 8, 1 and 2, more like, because God delivers me through Jesus, our Lord, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of death. Which sort of isn't quite as big a jump, it's a bit more connected. It's these pearls on this chain. So from these verses, Paul means that though we sin, we're not condemned. That's is the solution to the dilemma. <clears throat> because we're in Christ, we're forgiven. So we're not back to where we were when we were an unbeliever. And verse 3 and 4 go on and explain that through dying, Jesus overcame sin. Jesus was condemned instead of us. So we've been rescued from the scrap heap. There was condemnation, but it's Jesus who was condemned though it was our sin. And now, because we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Now, that's not an excuse for us to choose to sin, but when we're tempted and we do sin, we're not condemned. But for the non-Christian, it's different. Just like us, they can't help sinning. 
but they are under condemnation for sin until they become Christ for themselves. So we sin, but we're not condemned. And the passage goes on to show us how we might start to live according to the Spirit. So, second section, verses 5 to 8, setting the mind. Now, if you're anything like me, to make day-to-day decisions, we're always having to work out what's the best thing we're going to choose. Is it the best price? Is it the quickest route? Is it the right size? We've just done some mail order shopping and I went and took lots of things back to Mountain Warehouse because Anna and I now have the right clothes. But we had to do trying on and sorting things out. We do this making choices by comparing. So we go to the opticians and they show us two things. And they ask us, which is clearer, red or green? And then we think we're sorted, we know which one. And they give us another question. Is it clearer with one or with two? It's so much easier to see something clearly when you've got something to contrast it against. Even on the sunniest days, now it's sunny, the stars are there, but we can't see them. We need the sun to go down and the moon to come up and then when the sun's not there, we can see the stars. We need that contrast. So in verses 5 to 8, Paul just doesn't just tell us how good it would be to live in accordance with the Spirit. He actually points out more what it's like if we don't, so that we can see clearly that living by the Spirit is the way to live. He talks about two categories of people. Either we're in the Spirit, with the mind of the Spirit, or we're in the flesh, with the mind of the flesh. And in verses 5 to 8, he mentioned mind and flesh five times. So what does he mean when he says mind? He's talking about our attitude, our way of thinking, our outlook on life. Where is our mind set? What happens when our minds are unfocused? Where do they steer themselves? We'll go off on tangents. But where do those tangents lead us? Because where our minds wander to, that will indicate where they're set. So, if you switch off while I'm speaking, or when you're praying, where does your mind go? Does it wander to God? Or does it go to the shopping, washing, lots of nice TV, pleasures you've got lined up? Is my mind set on what the spirit desires or what the flesh desires? Is my mind governed by the spirit, leading me to life and peace? Or by the flesh and to death? Is it pleasing to God or is it hostile to God? And if our minds are governed by the flesh rather than the spirit, we'll start to find we're not so comfortable spending time in prayer. We'll not be bothered too much about missing church to do something else. We'll not make time for reading God's word. 
We've got a choice. We decide what we do, what we read, what we watch, where we go, who we spend our time with, and how our mind is formed. We live in a world with so many ways of drawing us away, and we need to make wise choices, because we know we need our minds to be governed by the spirit, not the flesh. We need to set our minds on what the spirit desires. Okay, so we know we want to set our mind on things of the spirit. But Paul goes on in verses 9 to 11 to talk about what happens when we are inhabited by God's spirit. He's drawn this comparison. We know what to choose. But Paul wants to encourage us. He wants to encourage the Romans when he wrote the letter, but it's the same for us. We're probably thinking, well, I know my mind should be governed by the Spirit, but how can I keep my mind on things of the Spirit? But in these verses, it is simple. Either we belong to Christ, we have his Spirit living in us, inhabiting us, and though it takes some discipline, we can work on having our minds controlled by his Spirit. Or the alternative, we don't belong to Christ. So we don't have the spirit of Christ in us. So we can't live according to the spirit. Whatever we do, we won't be able to keep our mind on the things of the spirit. So the first question has to be, do you belong to Christ? Have you asked Jesus into your life? You might say, well, we're here in church, of course I have. Look back at verses 9 to 11. Paul doesn't assume everybody he's writing to in the church in Rome belongs to Christ. He uses the word if. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. So is God's spirit in you? I like numbers. You can summarise this in a couple of statements, of if statements. It's really simple. If you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you belong to Christ. And then the flip side of those equations, if you don't belong to Christ, you don't have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. It, it works both ways around. And in the same way, in that early church in Rome, there were people who'd never come to accept Jesus in their life as their Lord and Saviour. And it's the same in their churches today. And I go to a lot of churches and PCCs. But if you're sitting here today and you haven't asked Jesus to come into your life, then can I encourage you to do so? Because unless you do, you'll always be governed by the flesh, separated from God. Take the opportunity. Speak to somebody afterwards, the friend you've come with, uh, a member of the prayer team, me. But, but make that choice, and then you can move into life in the Spirit. Billy Graham once said, just because you live in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. It's a bit dark, the pictures today. There's a couple of bikes hanging up there. 
Now, however long those bikes stay in that garage, they will always be bikes. They will never be cars. So, and then, once we belong to Christ and we have his spirit, is that the answer? Are we sorted? Is it enough? Well, that's a whole sermon, another whole sermon on its own. But I don't want you to leave you thinking, and? So, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 16, Paul encourages the church in Galatia that they need to walk by the Spirit. So they've got the Spirit, but they have to walk by the Spirit. That implies some action and some intention. If you've ever done a three-legged race, at the point you tie your ankle to the person you're meant to be walking with, you do, well, I have never managed to just set off and walk beautifully smoothly. It's hard work. You have to work out how to get in step with that person next to you. Walking doesn't just happen. It needs effort. Lois is learning to walk at the moment. She'll get there. She's learning. She tries, she falls over. My dad, when he had his stroke, he had to relearn to walk. And he's really frustrated because he can't walk like he did. And we go, oh, but you can walk really well. But in him, he's still trying to get better at walking. And it's the same for us. No quick fixes, no shortcuts, no easy ways. It's effort. We need to, every day, put to death the old, uh, old self, resolve to walk with Christ, in step with the Spirit. We need to practice. And then each day, we move along the journey of discipleship. So... If we belong to Christ, and therefore his spirit lives in us, we need to intentionally walk in step with his spirit. So, that's whistle-stop through those verses. I would encourage you to look at them for yourself, because there's so much in there. But what I want you to reflect on is, we might look like everybody else. When you go shopping or go to work, we, yeah, we just look at people. But if we belong to Christ, then we're in Christ. And hallelujah, though we sin, just like everybody else, we're not condemned because the dilemma that Paul was explaining, that's been resolved. We're not under the law, we're under the law of the spirit but we need to choose to set our minds on what the spirit desires and though we're inhabited by God's spirit we need to learn to walk by that same spirit and that will be every day of our life we will be learning how to walk with God in step with that spirit So, as we come to an end, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the encouragement that we can find, but we pray that you'll help us to not only accept you, but to accept that we want to have your mind. We want to walk your way. We want to be in step with you. And we pray that you'll help us as we make choices to know what to do, where to go, what to read. And we will put things into our mind that will help us to walk on that journey rather than being obstacles in our path. So we pray that we will see that we are learning to walk and that our walking improves day by day as we journey on as your disciples. Amen. Um.